You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Welcome on back to the Wine and Gold Talk podcast. I'm Hayden Grove, joined by the birthday-ish boy. It was birthday yesterday, <laughs> not today. That's why the podcast is on Tuesday instead of Monday. But Chris, uh, Chris Fedor, celebrated his birthday yesterday and uh, just wanted to give him a special birthday shout-out. It sounded like a great day. We spoke a little bit off of uh, off the air, I should say. I shouldn't say that because we're not really on air, but... Uh, before the podcast and sound like you haven't had a nice day so i'm very glad to hear that yeah man i appreciate you reaching out too and thanks to everybody else that reached out it was great it was a really i didn't know i didn't realize this but um obviously we we were close and i'm good friends with nick camino we're we're pretty close too. nick camino Mm -hmm. works for wkyc and uh you know he is his birthday yesterday and then former indians.com um writer jordan passion birthday so it was like a bit it was like a trio of cleveland sports journalist birthdays yesterday and i didn't really realize that until yesterday i don't know how i haven't realized that before but september 21st um a big day for cleveland sports journalist birthdays i guess <laughs> and another person who is notable that has a september 21st birthday is jimmy clausen the esteemed jimmy clausen the esteemed jimmy clausen one of your <laughs> one of you have many good calls. That was not one of them. No, that was not one of them. He was one of my favorite quarterbacks um, when I was growing up and just watching sports from a different lens. He was one of my favorites to watch. It did not translate, though. No, it did not, unfortunately. Also, the great thing about your birthday, and the great thing about not just your birthday, the great thing about yesterday, the 21st, is like that's the most epic song for like a day of the year ever, except for maybe like Christmas. <laughs> You know, like Christmas, there's songs and like, you know, maybe like Easter and Fourth of July, but like the 21st night of September, like that is a legendary song, like to be about your birthday. That's, I mean, that's like, you're going to have that the rest of your life. I know. And I'm just going to keep telling people that it was about my birthday, even though it's exactly. clearly not about mine. Um, right. I'm just going to keep telling people that it was about mine and it's always been about mine. I mean, your birthday, your, your, your song is pretty much played at every bar mitzvah yeah. sweet 16 yeah. wedding um you name it they play it because it isn't such a great song but earth wind and fire one of my favorite groups of all time um but i mean i love it i love it i, I heard That's it the right. other day and i was like go ahead earth, wind and fire doesn't just make songs about anything you know what i mean it's not no. like they're doing songs about december 14th or something like that some <laughs> random date it is about september 21st it That's is about right. my <laughs> birthday do they have do they have a Christmas song or do they have a Christmas I don't even know. I'm not sure. That's like the only other day that I could think of that like they would have a song about, but it's good stuff. That's what that yeah. is. And uh, they had a tweet yesterday like I think they I don't know what they did. They did something yesterday that was cool. I mean, such a it's, cool group, such a good song. September 21st is also usually um the first official day of fall. Um Yep. For some reason, this year it's not. Today is the official day of fall starting, September 22nd. But it's usually September 21st, so I don't know. Maybe something about the – maybe it's like a leap year or something like that. Maybe. I'm not sure. That's a good I question. Have no, I have no idea how that stuff works. It's way above my pay grade. But in any case, um, it sounded like a great day, and it's always going to be a day that, you know, now that – now I mean, not that I didn't realize it before, but like – it's the song and everything that just goes along with it. September 21st, always going to yep. be a great day. Yep. Um, but this is a 
Cavaliers podcast. We do have to get into some basketball discussion, although we could talk about Chris's birthday dinner and East Coast Custard, which I do love, by the way. I'm a big, big fan oh. of East Coast Custard. If you don't know East Coast Custard, tell the people about East Coast Custard. Man, I don't even know how to explain East Coast Custard. It's such a local gem. Um, it's the best custard that you're ever going to have. I would argue that it's the best dessert that you're ever going to have. Um, it has been a staple in Fairview Park for I don't know how many years at this point in time. Um, the location used to be on Story Road, kind of in the middle of nowhere. Um, and now it has moved to Lorraine Road. And what it is, is like there is no sit down place um, right. inside. You you either go up to the counter, order it there and eat on some of the tables that they have right outside on the patio. Or um, you drive through and you order it in the drive through and park and eat it somewhere. But it is so good. It is so refreshing. Um, the line is always out the door the first day that it opens because it's not a year round thing. Um, they open a specific day. And when that happens, Hayden, like the line is around the corner, out the door. Uh, people look forward to it every year. Um, I don't know how else to explain it other than that. They have like really good flavors. They have daily flavors. They have monthly flavors. Uh, they have based on the season, what flavors they have. My, my go-to is really um, original. It is one dish with a scoop of chocolate and a scoop of vanilla in it, and it is the perfect dessert. It's so good. So I didn't know that, that they had a specific day that they open. I thought they were open all oh, year round. Oh, yeah. No. Uh-uh. Okay. They'll be closing up here soon. I, I don't remember if it's October or November, um, but it's one of the days, and you have to make sure that you get there before it closes, because otherwise you're going to be waiting until – maybe March of next year, something like that. Yeah. I mean, it really, like, I guess it's too cold for ice cream at that point. I guess that's the, uh, it's I guess not ice cream. Mindset. It's custard. Or custard. Get it right. Sorry. Sorry. Custard. Yes. Well, Creamy, obviously, yeah. it's delicious. It's refreshing. It's that's better the, than yeah, ice cream. The, custard's probably a little creamier than ice cream. A little, little thicker. Yeah. And it's a little bit better than ice cream, by the yeah. way. Oh, and I I don't disagree. I mean, I've had it, I've had it, and it's it's wonderful. I would agree with that. We can we we could talk about ice cream and custard all day. I really could. But back to basketball this time for real. I promise. What's your uh, favorite? No, before we get well, back to basketball, we'll you can't just like skip over this. What's your favorite? Because there was a big happening in um, Northeast Ohio recently uh, when it comes to froyo, frozen yogurt. Uh, Menchie's has closed down. Did you see that? This is Okay, so you're gonna you're the, like so my friends. I have a I have like a group of friends that they, they love Menchies. Like the okay. like they go to Menchies, it's like their thing. And I felt so bad because on Sunday night, literally after like the football games, I went and I just had a hankering for Menchies. Yeah. So I went and got Menchies. And like during the during the pandemic, like they've you can't obviously you can't do self serve. So what they'll do is you get either a small or large, and they, you know they'll fill it up with all your toppings or whatever you want. Mm -hmm. But they'll like fill the whole thing, and it'll be huge, and like it's not as expensive as it was, like based on the poundage that you and like. So I threw all my favorite stuff in there, like the frosted animal crackers and uh, all that kind of like. Um, I think I put in like M and M's, like such such a good mix. Mm -hmm. And then I woke up the next day to the news that Menchie's was officially <laughs> closed. And I felt so bad because I was like, it was such a happy accident that I got Menchie's. I was just, it, it happened just so happened that I was craving it. And then all my friends like are freaking out. They're like, oh my God, they closed Menchie's. I'm like, yeah, I, I might've been like the last person on the oh. planet to get Menchie's last night. <laughs> so poor, poor, poor friends didn't get their uh, Menchie's. But I thought it was kind of weird, like, don't they have cakes and stuff that they could like give away or not? I mean, not give away, but like sell before they closed. I have no idea. I don't know how that works. I don't either. But yeah, it's a it's a sad day. But I mean, it's so hard in this new age of you know. There's not going to be a lot of. I mean, I don't. I can't foresee a time when like self serve stuff or like I know, you know, uh, like salad bars even. Or buffet style things. I don't know when that would, when, when if that's ever going to be back. But um, it, it definitely a lot of businesses like Menchie's and, and the like are going to be 
right. Uh, you know, certainly hurting. But my That's favorite what ice made cream it so hard is because like yeah. people loved doing that. They just loved going through the line and doing it themselves rather than right. for some reason having somebody scoop it into a bowl for you or into a cone for you. Right. Because then I guess it's like a it's like a thing where you can do whatever you like. You can just get what you want. You know? Yeah, like, you're controlling it. Sure. Right, you're controlling. So you, my my favorite ice cream. Goodness. Yeah. There's a reason I glossed over it because I like that's it's such a hard question. Um, gosh, man. That's that's a tough one. I mean, OK, I will say this. Like, No matter yeah. what it is, yeah. I, I, I love like pieces of stuff in the ice cream like i'm a big like crunchy or like a you know cookie dough or like brownies or chocolate chips or i just like that so i guess like a yeah. rocky road maybe or like uh i don't know there's i mean so when i was down in columbus jenny's was really big but i think that's yeah. a little, like over oh, it's like a little over expensive jenny's um, is really good graders is really good you know yeah. mitchell's is awesome yeah, I would say Mitch. I mean, I think Mitchell's. Yeah, Mitchell's is really good. I'm trying to think of like my favorite flavor, though. I don't really have one, honestly. No, no, I just I you know, it depends. It's like it depends on like where I'm at and what time of the year it is and what time of the day it is and like mm -hmm. what I'm feeling. But yeah, I'll, any anything with like a crunch or anything with like a like a with, you know, I'd rather there be some like something mixed into the ice cream. Like have Cold you had Stone moose tracks? Yeah, yeah, moose tracks. It's a great example. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, and like you know, with the peanut butter in there. Ooh, that's moose that's, tracks is really good. I grew up on moose tracks. Oh yeah, and again, I like there is some good. What's your favorite? What's your favorite? Like, you have to go to the store. Yeah. And buy ice cream. Like, where do you? What do you? What brand are you getting? Um. Well, now you can get. That's the funny thing. That's you can the thing. You get, can get like Mitchell's you get tubs. Mitchell's. You can get Grater's tubs. Right. Uh, I forget the name of it, but there's a gelato that has like a really hard to open cap. Talenti. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Yep. And somebody actually did a YouTube video of how to open freaking thing. <laughs> because you know, I would you... assume so many people struggle with it. The only reason I know that is because my mom used to buy it and then yeah. she used to then we used to eat it, and then she would keep the things as like little containers, because <laughs> they're like they're like plastic containers. I mean, they are. They're, they're useful. With like a heavy duty lid too. Right, the first exactly. time that I bought it, I was so befuddled. I had no clue how to open this thing, right? Like, so I grabbed a knife and I was sitting there and I was like putting it into the crevice on the side, seeing like, do I have to loosen it up that way? Is there glue that is connecting it to? the rest of the container. So like I took a knife and like went around the whole circumference of the thing and I still couldn't open it. So then I went on YouTube and there's a YouTube video of this dude showing people how to open this container. And it's got, <laughs> it's got like a hundred thousand views. So this is clearly a thing that like, I'm not the only one who struggled with opening that freaking container because somebody had to do a YouTube video about it. You're definitely not. You're definitely not. So also, that would I, be one of my go-tos. Also, I just thought about it. I'm a big Ben and Jerry's fan. Oh yeah, for sure. I mean, they, the amount of like crap that they can throw—not crap—the yep. amount of deliciousness they can throw into one pint of ice cream is pretty insane. Yep. Oh yeah, like brownie bites and and the, <laughs> the fish food. Oh, that's the stuff. Harry Garcia, Chunky Monkey. Yep. Yep. That's where it's that's where it's at right there. That's, I mean, I know it's kind of, so my parents want they my parents went up to Vermont and they went there and I want to go there. Oh, that would be it's so the, cool. To the Ben and Jerry's like plant. Yeah, that'd be sweet. Yeah, that's I got I, one of these days. I got to get up there. Now I want ice cream. Yep. See, it's a little chilly, though. I don't know. I'm no, little, it's not. It's like 70 degrees outside. It's beautiful well, I my, outside. I keep my apartment really cold. So maybe yeah. that's, uh, that's smart. So do I. <laughs> and the and the fact that it's not like 85 anymore outside, it's probably colder than normal <laughs> in here, as I have my hoodie on. But yeah, all right. Finally, I, I could talk about ice cream and, and crap all day, but we do have to talk about basketball because you put out a tweet today that um, invited um, users to ask questions and to you know get our thoughts on some certain things involving the Cavaliers. 
um, and the NBA as a whole, I suppose. We'll definitely talk a little bit about uh, Senor LeBron James, who <laughs> had some interesting <laughs> thoughts on uh, the MVP voting. Um, but in the meantime, I'm going to take a look at some of these questions. But in the, fir- at the uh, before all that, um, there was a report today. I didn't see from who. I just I said there was some um, there was some you know hullabaloo on on Twitter about Colin Sexton and mm-hmm. and how he's looking big and and bet and great. And I was just wondering if you had any you know uh, talk to anybody with the team who said anything about Colin and how he's looking in this um, camp, which officially starts tomorrow, the the Cavaliers. Uh, what are they calling it? Tra- not calling it training camp. They're calling it, like, practice session? What are they calling it? I don't know that they have a specific name for it. I've been calling okay. it mini-bubble. Mini-bubble. Because it's, okay, it's not, like, mini-camp. It's not training camp. It's a combination of mini-camp, training camp, and a bubble. So I'm going with mini-bubble and seeing if that sticks with anybody. All right, so the mini bubble. So have you heard anything about Colin in the mini bubble? Have you heard anything about anything in the mini bubble? So they haven't started anything. The only thing that they've been able to do at this point, Hayden, is the individual workouts, but they've been able to do that for months, right? right. Even when everything shut down, once the NBA allowed these teams to reopen their practice facilities, they've been able to be at the practice facility um, going through on-court workouts as long as it's one on o type stuff, individual drills, um, lifting weights, stuff like that. So um, the mini bubble itself is going to start tomorrow, Wednesday. Mm-hmm. I reported this a couple weeks ago. It's going to start Wednesday because everything is mirroring um, the setup that the Disney bubble had in terms of how much you have to quarantine, how much you have to get tested. They wanted it to be the same for those 22 teams and then the eight teams that were excluded They wanted them to have the same safety measures, the same protocols in place, um, and be protected as much as possible. So the Cavs spent last week at the practice facility doing the individual stuff on the court, uh, the one-on-o type workouts. And then they got to the downtown hotel Monday for a two-day quarantine, because just like everybody that went to the Disney bubble, they had to do two days of negative testing before they could actually get into the bubble of Disney. So Mm -hmm. the Cavs are doing two days of quarantine, and then they're starting on-court activities, which can include um, five-on-five scrimmaging for an hour a day. That is starting tomorrow at uh, Rocket Mortgage Fieldhouse. Yes, okay. So tomorrow will be the official day, and there's going to be be practice, let's call it, the first practice. Right. There's going to be Zoom uh, press conferences, and we'll talk to, you know, a lot of different um, Cavaliers players, and we'll get a better sense of how they're doing during all this because it's kind of been, as as we've mentioned, it's been kind of a quiet off season. But um, so, what have you? I mean, again, back to this Colin thing. Not to you know, not to harp on it, but like, I, I don't know how much you can, unless Colin Sexton is now just like a physical freak and just looks, I mean, ginormous. Like, how much can they really? like see from Colin in these, you know, one-on-o workouts, like unless it's just him physically looking amazing. Yeah, that's what it is. Like he's made a physical transformation from the time he came into the NBA until now. And this is the second straight off season where Colin has determined that it's better for him to get stronger, to get more muscular, to be more physical. Um, Look, he came into the NBA and he was technically a point guard. Like, he wasn't a true point guard, but that was the position that he was going to play. Now he's a two, and for the foreseeable future, he's going to be a two. Sure, he's going to run the offense at some points, and he's going to have high usage, and he's going to bring the ball up the court. But if he's going to play in a backcourt with Darius Garland, Darius Garland is not going to defend shooting cards. He's not physically capable of doing that. So that responsibility is oftentimes going to fall on Colin and the guys that he's going to match up are chances are, unless it's CJ McCollum, basically, they're going to be bigger. They're going to be taller. They're going to be more physical. Um, So he has to do his best to try and uh, narrow that gap, I guess. And he is physically bigger. He is physically stronger. He is more muscular. And it's the second off season in a row where he's come back Um, And he's come into the facility and um, just by appearance sake looked different than he did before. 
Yeah, I mean, that's that's something that, you know, we'll have to keep a tabs on. I mean, there have been cases in the past where, like, do you, I mean, maybe this is just a philosophical thing, and I don't know. Is there ever, because sometimes I feel like this is this might just be my weird thing, mm-hmm. but, like, sometimes I think there's so much emphasis, like, some guys, I think they just, like, work out like and they like put on too much muscle and then it like changes their game or like some guys lose too much like you know kevin love was one of the few that like that you know lost a ton of weight and it worked out for him and he, and he started playing better and yada yada right. yada right but like there are there are other guys like the one that comes to mind for for me specifically was jared sullinger now jared sullinger was a great college player very pretty undersized but like got to the nba lost a lot of weight and he just wasn't the same player. Mm-hmm. Like some of these guys, they've been playing at at a weight their whole lives that they're accustomed to. Right. And then like you either add a bunch of weight or lose a bunch of weight. Like I think it can affect them. So what do you? I mean, do you have any thoughts on that? I, I don't know. That's just my kind of weird opinion and thought on sometimes like these guys that are you know putting on a ton of muscle or losing a ton of muscle or whatever. No, I think they have to thread the needle for sure. And, yeah. and and for Colin, a big part of his game is his explosiveness, his quickness off the dribble, and just his overall speed. Like he's mm-hmm. able to beat guys off the dribble and get all the way to the rim. He is so fast end to end. And provided he doesn't lose that, then I think this is only a good thing for somebody yeah. like him because of the position that he's going to play, because of the role that he's going to have, because of how much he gets into the paint and having to finish through contact and be able to take those hits and get back up. So as long as he doesn't lose the other things that make him such a great um, and versatile scorer, then I I think this is just fine. I I think it's something that the Cavs are on board with. I think it's something that the Cavs have continued to monitor. And transforming his body was always going to be part of the equation. It's the same thing with Kevin Porter Jr. It's the same thing with Darius Garland. Um, These guys are going to have to get physically stronger so that they can hold up to the rigors of an 82-game regular season schedule. And what they hope in in some years in the future is going to be longer than that. Um, And and I think a lot of these guys, too, Hayden, because they come into the NBA so young, they're still trying to figure out what's best for them from that standpoint. What's the best playing weight? Uh, what's going to maximize what they can do offensively, defensively. And and these are all things when you talk about upside with a player and you talk about potential with a player. These are all things that certainly tie into it. A part of the reason why the Cavs are so excited about KPJ is because they don't feel like his body is fully developed yet. And there's more that they can get out, out of him from just a physical standpoint. Yeah, I mean that—that's certainly uh, with KPJ. I mean, have you heard anything in regards to you know any transformation there, or is it just kind of you know marginal and you know he's still just like you said developing and, and working on getting himself to where he needs to be? No, I mean the the people that continue to come up in my conversations with people around the organization are Darius and Colin, but but that's because like you can physically see differences with them. You know what I mean? Well, yeah. With KPJ, it's more about the skills, I think, because, you know, he's got the size. He had an NBA body coming into the NBA. Right. Uh, from that standpoint, they felt like he could play one, two, three, four, even in some lineups. He's got the length. He's got the athleticism. Like all of that was already there. And that's part of the allure of somebody like KPJ. You hear it all the time when you look at draft prospects. Oh, he's got an NBA body already. Well, that was KPJ, right? That wasn't Colin Sexton. That wasn't Darius Garland. Um, So for KPJ, it's the skills. It's the decision-making. It's the maturity. It's refining the the things that he showed as a rookie. Um, Darius came into last year as a rookie, and he was out of shape because he was coming off knee surgery, and he couldn't do the things in the offseason to get himself ready for training camp. Then he had a setback in training camp, and he just, like, He could never find that sweet spot. So he was, in a way, he was playing from behind for his entire rookie season. So you can see differences with him. You can see differences with Colin. Um, With some of these other guys, it's the other areas that they need to grow and develop. Certainly. Um, 
you know, with the, I mean, have you heard anything? I mean, you said Colin and Darius are pretty much the two that have been coming up in, uh, in conversations you've had in regards to um, the Cavaliers and this mini bubble, as you call it. Mm-hmm. Uh, anybody else, anything else that you've heard that, you know, that comes to mind when, you know, just addressing these, um, these individual workouts? It's a big two weeks coming up for Dylan, obviously. Yeah. Dylan Windler. He's got the green light. I reported weeks ago that he's got the green light and he's a full go and they aren't going to put limitations on him. At the same time, like the Cavs aren't going to push any of these guys um, at this point and make them go super hard in scrimmages and make them scrimmage for one hour a day because that's the limit that they're able to do. You know what I mean? They're going to be cautious. They're going to monitor all these guys. They recognize how much time these guys have been idle, quote unquote, idle. So they're not going to overdo it just because the NBA has given them this opportunity to get together as a team. And there are going to be days, Hayden, where they're going to be off. I think they have six practices scheduled Mm -hmm. in this entire time because so much about it, and we've talked about this on the podcast and I've written about it for Cleveland.com, so much about it is team bonding and just coming together as a group because they haven't been able to do that in the same way that they're used to. Um. So for Dylan, he's able to get on the court. He's able to scrimmage. Uh, It's going to be really, really big for him because as much as people could say, like in the organization, we're excited about Dylan. We like the things that he brings to the table. There were players that were really, really excited about the possibility of Dylan playing last year as a rookie. It never happened because he continued to have setbacks. So like all of that excitement is there and it's been there. But nobody's seen it, right? It's based on what? Nothing to this point in time. It's based on no tangible evidence. Uh, So now they're going to have an opportunity to actually see him, and he's going to be able to do things that he hasn't been able to do. And for him, this is a huge step in his recovery, and this is a huge step in him um, getting ready for the 2020-2021 season, whenever that's going to be. So this is a great great you know talking point about Dylan Windler because a lot of the questions that um, came in from uh, your your tweet today are about him and uh, the first one that I wanted to ask you is uh, what do you see Dylan Windler's role being for this upcoming season like obviously a lot of it is dependent upon his health and all that but I mean say he's perfectly healthy and ready to roll what do you think his role is going to be I think it's so hard to answer this question Hayden just because there are so many unknowns attached to him. Um, I guess the the best way that I can answer this is by focusing on the things that we know about Dylan or that I know about Dylan to this point. The Cavs were really excited to draft him. Um, they were really excited about uh, his potential going into his rookie season. Um, they liked what they saw from him at Summer League. Uh, He had worked his butt off in the offseason to get ready for his rookie season. He overdid it. He overexerted himself, and that's how he got this injury in the first place. Um, But there were people talking going into last year, Hayden, about the possibility of Dylan taking the starting small forward job from Jetty Osman by the midway point of the season because Mm -hmm. of the things that Dylan brings to the table. Like, he brings things that the Cavs missed last year shooting, spacing, an extra playmaker and ball handler, somebody who has a really high basketball IQ, understands cutting, understands angles, really good rebounder for his position. Those are things that the Cavs missed, and they need the things that Dylan brings to the table. I would argue that they need the things that he brings more than Jetty Osman. Shooting is a big problem for this team. Passing is a big problem for this team. Um, And because of that, I think there's a strong possibility that Dylan, if it doesn't happen right away, I think there's a strong possibility that he quickly becomes the starting small forward on this team, um, provided the Cavs don't use the fifth overall pick on, on somebody who um, is better than him immediately, which is a possibility. They could absolutely go yeah. that direction. Um, but they like Dylan, and they like the things that Dylan brings, and and none of that has changed 
um, because he missed his entire rookie season with injury. So, I mean, this question is, you know, what should Cavs fans expect from Dylan Windler? But, I mean, is, is that the expectation that he should, you know, be, become their um, starting small forward, you know, really early on? Or is that just a goal, much less or much, you know, more than an expectation? So I think that's more of a goal than an expectation. I just think it's right. really hard to place that expectation on a guy who missed his entire rookie season. Those right. are formative years for somebody like Dylan Windler. At the time that everybody else in his rookie class, Hayden, was working on their game, improving, getting valuable experience in the NBA, finding out what works, what doesn't work, like all those different things. Dylan, he didn't have that opportunity. He was rehabbing an injury. Right. So from that standpoint, he's behind. He's further behind. Um all these other guys worked on their game and got better, and he just worked to get healthier. So he has a lot of ground to make up, including on some of his teammates that could be a possibility of, of, of taking minutes and playing time at that particular position. But again, if you think about Dylan and you think about the other options that they have um, to play on the wing – I would say that none are like him. Right. Right. None are the sharpshooting type. None are the cutting without the ball type. None are the really good rebounder for his position. Um, he's He's got things that the Cavs need. Um, he's got things that the other players that, that could fill that spot don't. And, and that's what I think makes him such a seamless fit next to Colin and next to Darius. Like, Darius needs the ball in his hands. He's going to have the ball in his hands. Colin needs the ball in his hands. He's going to have the ball in his hands. Uh, Dylan can impact the game in a different kind of way. He doesn't need the ball in his hands. So for me, it, it's easier to find a fit for a guy like that, especially given um, not just the other options, but the other players that he's going to be sharing the court with and what they bring to the table. Speaking of Darius Garland, question that came in. Um, what is Darius Garland's ceiling, and do the Cavaliers believe he can reach it? So what do you think Darius Garland, how how good can Darius Garland be? What is his absolute highest point? Um, again, like these, these are tough questions to answer just because of sure. the way everything went for some of these guys as rookies. Um. I have my concerns with Darius. I yeah. I watched him play last year and and I struggled to see a guy who would be able moving into the future be able to consistently beat his man off the dribble. Now, um players at his position can get by without that elite athleticism, that elite explosiveness and they're more reliant on craft and uh, ball handling and uh, finishing around the rim in a unique way. Um, and, and people inside the organization will say that about DG. They'll say he's more of a crafty point guard rather than an elite athlete. Um, mm -hmm. At the same time, like he wasn't right as a rookie. He never felt himself as a rookie. He told me that. And, uh, I think it's going to be fascinating to see what a full off season of being able to work on his game is going to do for somebody like Darius and not just work on his game, Hayden, but work on his body and get right. into better physical condition. So look, they didn't, they didn't draft him with a fifth overall pick saying like, this is a guy that we're getting solely because of his rookie season, right? Like this is a guy that we're getting because we want him to compete for rookie of the year. Everything with Darius, when you draft a guy like Darius, who is coming off an injury, who only played full four games in college, it's more about the future than the present. That's a no-brainer. So I don't think there was anything that the Cavs saw in his rookie year that was alarming to them or that made them change their feeling about Darius and his ability to be the point guard of the future. I think if anything, like they're sitting here today thinking about the possibilities and being excited because they know that there's so much more to get out of him. And because they know they didn't see the player that they drafted with the fifth overall pick. And, and they're waiting to see that kind of player. 
And I think because of this long offseason and because he doesn't have to focus on rehabbing in his injury um, the way that he did last offseason, he's going to be more locked in and ready going into next year. And it's up to him now to take all the things that he learned as a rookie, um, translate those into his sophomore year and prove that he can be the point guard of the future based on how he plays, not based on his draft position. Yeah, I think he's definitely a guy that would benefit from, you know, the time off, the ability to get in better shape, the mm. time away from, you know, playing games just to hone his craft. I think that's one of the guys certainly that, you know, obviously you want to play 82 because you want to get that experience. But like for a guy like that, an 82 game grind would have been a lot for a body that had only played four college games, as you mentioned. And, you know, he'd fought through injuries. So, I mean, mm. it'll, at least in my estimation, it'd be good for him. It was a good thing for him to get this time to just work on himself. You're right. Yeah, but uh, so here's here's the other thing, too, to consider. And yeah. um, I was talking to somebody about this recently. Uh, so let's look at the roster going into next season as it stands right now. Um, yep. There's uncertainty with Matthew Dellavedova and Tristan Thompson, and that's to be understood. Darius Garland is the only true point guard that the Cavs have on the roster. Right. He's the only one. Dante Axum is a combo guard. You're, you're not going to give him significant minutes at point guard. He's not going to run the team in the way that Darius is going to. So the opportunity, unless the Cavs um, draft a point guard with a fifth overall pick, unless LaMelo Ball falls to them at number five in the draft, or unless they make a different approach in, in free agency, the opportunity is there for Darius to get all the point guard minutes that his body can handle. And I think he recognizes that. I think the Cavs recognize that. And I think he has to prepare himself mentally and physically for that sort of workload because the only other guy that's going to play point guard for them in stretches is, is going to be who Colin Sexton, maybe Kevin Porter jr. Look, the Cavs were hoping to experiment with KPJ at the one um, in a playmaking initiator role at the end of the regular season, the final few weeks of the regular season, then coronavirus pandemic hit, and then they weren't able to do that. So so maybe there are going to be opportunities for KPJ to slide into that in a James Harden-type role. Um, but the only true, by any definition, true point guard on this roster currently that you can lock in for next season is Darius Garland. So... He's got to prepare himself for that. That's certainly something to look out for. <laughs> you know, I mean, I mean, I, I mean, we've talked about Delhi before. I think that you know the Cavs love him, and and that would be a fit. Uh, but you're right. I mean, if you're looking for a true point guard, that's about the only guy they have. I mean, would they ever? And this kind of goes into this question here: um, Who are some guys that the Cavs you could see signing off for the league minimum or slightly more? Like, could, would they bring in another kind of true point guard, or is this kind of um, something that? They're just going to kind of play around with as, you know, this mini bubble goes on and maybe as they get closer to the draft. I think the perfect option for this group is Matthew Della Vadova. Yeah. He's going to yeah. come back. He's going to understand his role. He knows the players in the locker room. He was around this team. He was around this coaching staff. He's really smart. He's an extension of the head coach. He's a coach on the floor. So if, if you're talking about backup point guards in that range, I think at the top of the list has to be Delhi, And right. I, I don't think it's out of the realm of possibility for him to come back in that same kind of role. I don't think he's going to have a huge market. I don't think there are enough um, teams out there that have money to spend that are going to look at him and say, you know, this is a backup point guard that, that we think we can give 25 to 30 minutes a night to if we give him a bunch of money in free agency. Um, I think the view of Delhi at this point in his career is he's probably a 16 to 20 minute a night guy. And the best value that he's going to bring is um, one, his brain and two, what he means to the organization. He's going to help um, lay a foundation of culture and accountability and work ethic and he's somebody that these young point guards, if if you have a young point guard out there, he's somebody that these young point guards can learn from. 
And I think it would be great for Darius Garland's development and this organization to bring Delhi back in some combination of um, backup point guard and um, culture piece that they need to continue in this development of this young team. Yeah, you're certainly right. I don't think that there's a better fit there. I mean, I think that that's the perfect fit for the organization. And, you know, it'll be interesting to see, you know, what kind of money he would command. But I don't think it would be anything crazy, um, as you mentioned, just because you're, there's not going to be much of a market for a guy like that, at, you know, who who brings a lot more to – I mean, you think it's fair to say that he brings a lot more to Cleveland than he would bring anywhere else? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Right. And And to be honest with you, Hayden, like I've made the same argument for somebody like Tristan Thompson. The value of Tristan – I think will always be higher here unless he goes to a team that is like championship contender that, that needs all the things that Tristan brings to the table, rebounding, screen setting, hustle, work ethic, leadership, um, all of the dirty work. We, we've seen how impactful uh, switchability, although it's not to the same level that it used to be with Tristan. Um, we we've seen the kind of impact that he can make in a seven game series. We saw him dominate the Atlanta Hawks and, and get offensive rebounds and get second chance opportunities. Uh, possessions are so vital in the postseason, and, and getting somebody like that who is reliable, accountable, um, and who can create second chance opportunities better than anybody else in the NBA. That's a huge asset to a team, say like the Lakers or the Clippers. But if he can't get his way to one of those teams, he's going to have more value here than he would have in New York or Atlanta or Memphis or Charlotte or one of these other teams that has cap space to spend this offseason. So I think it's the same argument that you make about Tristan that you can make about Delhi. Like, like for the Cavs, you know, could they go the route of Michael Carter Williams or something like that? Sure. Yeah. I mean, they could try and go that direction. Could they try and make a compelling offer sheet for Chris Dunn of the Chicago Bulls? Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. But but I think both of those guys are kind of out of the range of, of what the Cavs would want to spend on somebody at that position. Because yeah. they have to balance how much they need that guy with how much playing time that guy would get and, and what that would mean in terms of the on-court development of somebody like Darius Garland or maybe even Kevin Porter Jr. in that particular role. So all of these things the Cavs have to balance here. It's not just like, oh, this guy's really, really good. He's he's a better option than Matthew Della Vadova. He's a better player than Matthew Della Vadova. Sure. But is he going to understand his role in the same kind of way that Delhi does? And is he going to be okay with with sometimes being in the rotation and out of the rotation and in the rotation and out of the rotation, because that's the reality of, of what's available to somebody that the Cavs would sign for that kind of money in free agency. I'm going to make my, I'm going to make my call right here, right now. I'm going to say that Delhi and Tristan come back on one year deals. I'm going to be, I'm going to call, I'm going to, I'm going to stake my call right here, right now. I think that the, okay. the Cavs bring them both back on one year deals. It's a possibility. Um, yep. They have enough. I guess they could make moves financially and roster-wise to make both guys fit if they had to. Right. But it it will be tight. Let's put it that oh, way. Absolutely. All right. We got one more question here, and uh, it's <laughs> it's one it's one that <laughs> that we've discussed a little bit. But I mean, it's also just like. I don't even know if you can really like, I mean, you can definitely answer it, but the question is, what are the Cavs plans for upgrading their defense this season? <laughs> like right. work on it, get better at it. I mean, I don't think they're going to be adding anybody, you know? Yeah. I mean, I think the thing that they have to hope for is that they play harder under JB Biggerstaff and maybe he schemes around the deficiencies of this roster the way that he was able to do in Memphis. But, look, man, like, if we're honest with ourselves about the talent that they have on this roster, who on this team is a plus defender? Mm, Drummond? I don't know about that. I'm not convinced about that. He gets steals, he gets blocks, he gets rebounds. He's going to help their defense, 
because he's going to finish possession. So I I guess, but like I think he's borderline. I, I think I think the headlines created by Andre Drummond don't match the kind of defender that he is. That's my view of it. Um the only one that I can think of, Hayden, is Larry Nance Jr. Okay. Yep. I think That's he's a great cool. defender. Um, I, I think he gives them so much versatility on that end of the floor. He can guard on the perimeter. He can guard around the rim. Um, he's got the athleticism. He's got the quickness to switch on to guys, too. So, to me, just looking at the roster, him and maybe Alfonso McKinney? <laughs> you know okay. what I mean? Yeah. I mean, McKinney's not going to get huge minutes. So, at, at some point... It's on the front office to get better defenders. Right. And and it seems simplistic, but the best way for them to become a better defensive team is to get guys who are better defenders. So that's why, to me, the fifth overall pick has to tie into that. And that's why, for me, as we've talked about, I've essentially eliminated Obi Toppin. The Cavs have not. He is firmly on their radar. He is in consideration with the fifth overall pick. But it would be hard for me to support that decision because of how bad of a defender he is currently and how much they need a boost on that end of the floor. If they're serious about being a team that makes real tangible um, improvement, like as a team, as an organization for next season and, and I don't think they can be a playoff team, but if they're serious about pushing for that, at least, if that's going to be a goal of theirs, they have to be honest about the kinds of players that they need to acquire. And for them, the best way to do that is to find guys who can defend, and they don't have enough of those. Nope. You're right, and I, I think you're totally accurate when you say the draft pick, the number five, has got to be at least somewhat of a defensive player. I mean, I don't think it could be in a situation with Colin and, and Darius where – it's not good. <laughs> um, all right. I mean, that's I, the thing, too, because, like, look, Hayden, if, if they're going to be committed and they have some decisions to make when it comes to the Garland-Sexton backcourt, and, and there's no way that they can have answers just based on one season of Darius Garland and Colin Sexton together. Right. Um, but, but if that's going to be their backcourt, at least going into next year, like, it is time to surround these guys with quality defenders so that in many ways uh, their flaws are masked as opposed to exacerbated. Right. I mean, if you're going to run Darius and Colin out there, also having Jetty Osman as the starting small forward and Kevin Love as the starting power forward is, is really, really difficult for that lineup to defend consistently. Now, yeah. if you're projecting it forward and if that lineup replace Jetty Osman with Isaac Okoro from Auburn, all of a sudden you start to feel like you have a better chance with that particular grouping. Or if you put Larry Nance Jr. instead of Kevin Love, and I'm just talking like hypothetically, and I'm talking about combinations. Right. If you start getting those kinds of pieces around Darius and Colin, the weaknesses that those guys have on defense are not going to show up as much on a nightly basis. They're still going to be there. They're still going to be limited defenders. Right. But from a team standpoint, it's not going to be crippling the way that that it has been. Yeah. I mean, we've discussed plenty the Cavaliers' defensive issues over the years, and certainly uh, last year. I mean, right now they got they're going to be a team unless like unless you uh, like we said unless they address the defensive situation, they're going to have to win a bunch of. You know, 130 to 120 games. Um, all right, last question. I, I think I said the last one was the last question, but I forgot about this one because this is an <laughs> interesting one. Just, it, and it, you know, it, what access, if any, will you have to the Cavs camp? So they're not doing, from what, maybe I'm wrong, but uh, isn't it all Zoom and just, it's only them at the, at Rocket Mortgage, so we will not be able to see in person? Correct. Yeah. Yeah. The so, only people allowed in the bubble are the people that, are doing the daily testing that went through the two days of quarantine. In fact, the Cavs PR staff is limited. Um, the Cavs as an organization are limited with how many people they're allowed to put into their mini bubble in downtown Cleveland. So they've had to make some decisions about 
who's going to be there, who's not going to be there. And media members certainly are not going to be there. Um, All of the availability that we're going to get from head coach J.B. Bickerstaff and some of the players, it's going to be via Zoom. And it's not even going to be a daily thing. Right. It's like once every, it's like tomorrow. I don't know. It's like random days. Yeah, Um, it's like every other day or something like that. Something like that. So, yeah, so the answer to that question is not much. But, again, there is going to be some, you know, some B-roll from the, you know, the Cavs. But certainly not, you know, I mean, we're all adjusting to this time. And, um, you know, the Browns, we had limited, I mean, we had access to training camp. And, you know, we have, you know, Hoynesy and Noga, Joe Noga at the Indians games. But it's just, it's just that time of, you know, this time of COVID where, Access is not going to be what it used to be whatsoever. But again, that's why you got to go follow Chris on subtext. Go get his subtext um, because he's going to be talking to these guys inside the bubble and he's going to be providing you with the information and analysis that you need. So go get him on subtext. You can find the link in the um, in this uh, post on the Cleveland.com slash Cavs. So go check them out on subtext again, $3.99 a month, but you get a 14-day free trial. You're going to love what you get from Chris, so go check it out. Uh, Before we go, Chris, and we do have a 3 o'clock meeting within our company, so we do have to wrap it up. But I do want to address, as we mentioned at the front of the podcast, uh, LeBron James, the the man that we've known quite well, um, not very happy with the MVP voting this year. Um, made it known in a uh, state or he was doing a press conference, made it known he wasn't happy. He tweeted that he wasn't happy about it. Um, Is this just, here's my, here's my thing. I think this could be him just saying, all right, I need, you know, I I have motivation, but like I need a little more to just go out and dominate this postseason and get to the finals. Maybe it's just like him doing that thing that he does to get pumped and to get to where he needs to be mentally. But or maybe he really does have a problem. What what where did, what is your take on this? Because I know you were one that voted for Giannis, and I'm not uh, saying you're wrong. I mean, heck, you were one of I forget the numbers, but um, it was a 86. pretty overwhelming. Say it again. Eighty six. That's right. So you were one of eighty six. Um, what or is your take? Eighty five. Eighty five. What is yeah, your take? Eighty five to sixteen. LeBron has done this before, Aiden. I remember yes. having this very conversation with LeBron where he was standing inside Cleveland Clinic courts against the pad, um, reflecting yeah. on MVP, maybe the year Steph won? Yes. I think it was Steph. Yes. And LeBron year, at that I time. Ste- I think it was the year Steph was unanimous. I think you're right. Yeah. I'm trying to go through and remember. I think you're right. And LeBron at that time. Like, he wasn't putting up the same kinds of numbers that Steph was. And LeBron now is not putting up the same kind of numbers as somebody like Giannis. And he's not probably going to put up the same kind of numbers as somebody like James Harden. LeBron recognizes that. Everything LeBron does is calculated. It's thought out. Right. My thinking is that he is laying the groundwork for next season. So that he puts doubt in the minds of voters when a lot of these guys who are in the running for MVP are going to have better numbers than LeBron and maybe better um, analytical metrics than LeBron, where these voters then moving forward stop to consider the other things that LeBron brings to an organization. That's what I think he's doing. And. Uh, a couple of years ago when he was with the Cavs and he did this, he kept pointing to the term value. And when he was asked to define what most valuable player means to him, he focused solely on value, 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 because he knew that if voters took that as the primary piece uh, that they used to drive their decision, that LeBron was going to win that because of what he has done to these franchises. He lifted Miami, he lifted the Cavs, he's lifting the Lakers. So he wants voters moving forward to focus on the things that benefit him in an MVP vote. And I don't blame him for that. Um, And I think he understands that, that Giannis is going to be tough to take down in these MVP conversations, that Luka moving forward is going to be tough to take down in these MVP conversations. And LeBron wants MVPs. He wants another MVP, at least 
one other MVP. And he wants, that, he wants the narrative um, to come in a little bit more than the numbers. Do you think that he was – I mean, I, I don't think LeBron thought he was going to win MVP. Like, no. I don't think that ever entered his mind. He wanted I think closer. He, yeah, he, wanted he wanted more closer. First right. He thought the 16 was terrible. That's yeah. – yeah. Right. I mean, but you're right. I mean, he does this and it gets him going, man. I mean, they're they're very close to a, to getting to the finals. And would it be nine and ten years for LeBron? Is that right? I mean, that's that's pretty remarkable. But, um, you know, that's what he needs uh, sometimes. And, I mean, AD with a great shot the other night. I mean, that was – you know, they seem to be on a collision course with the NBA Finals, and we'll see what happens with the Heat. We'll see what happens with the Celtics. But it's certainly going to be, you know, exciting to see. I mean, what do you what do you think? You think that you do you think they you think they have enough? Well, before we get into that, I I want to get into something really quick because I have heard now or seen on social media some of the defense of of these people. That, that voted for LeBron. And look, everybody's entitled to vote for MVP the way that they want to. It's all sure. in the eye of the beholder. And one of the things that the NBA loves is that they don't lay out a specific criteria for MVP. So they leave it up to the voters to figure out what matters most to voters. And it leads to conversation. It leads to debate. And the NBA doesn't want to put specific parameters in place because they like the debate. Sure. They like the controversy, if you want to call it controversy. Absolutely. There are some years where it is controversial, an MVP vote. This, to me, is not one of these years. LeBron uh, had a great year. LeBron is a great player. Giannis had a historical season, and it's a regular season award. And it doesn't matter that Giannis got bumped out of the postseason early. Michael Jordan got bumped out of the postseason early when he won MVPs. And nobody was saying, oh, well, he doesn't deserve it because he didn't go far enough in the postseason. But... Part of the defense of LeBron is is what he did for the Lakers. And look, what he did right. for the Lakers is unbelievable. He has them in championship contention. But this idea that it was only LeBron who put them in that position is just ridiculous to me. Sure. Like, yes, LeBron went to Los Angeles and gave them a better chance. But they have AD as well. Hello? Like... The reason why they're a championship contender is because of both of them. Without AD, it's a different kind of conversation. So I just think it's unfair for these voters to say, like, part of the reason why I I voted for LeBron is because of what he's meant to the Lakers, as if it's a singular thing. When it's not, like, he has AD, Giannis does not have AD. You know what I mean? Like right. part of the reason why the Lakers are further in the postseason uh, than the Bucks are in the postseason is because of the supporting cast. And Giannis, in many ways, was more responsible, I think, to the Bucks' success as an organization and as a team because he doesn't have another top five player that he's playing alongside. And for him to do that, what he did for the Bucks and with the Bucks. Without playing with a top five player, to me, that stands out more. I think the fact that it's a regular season award hurts LeBron. Well, because, sure. Because, you know, because obviously LeBron just goes into a different realm when the postseason begins. Yeah, so I understand why he's upset. But also, like, that's not his – I mean, yes, he wants to win MVP. But, like, that's not his – that's not his MO. That's not his goal, like – he, you know, obviously he wants to win championships. He wants to win NBA Finals MVP. So, like, it definitely hurts LeBron that it's a regular season award because, again, you know, this obviously this regular season was quite different and things ended early. And But, like, if this was an overall 2020 MVP award, I think it'd be – I think it would be different. I think that vote would be a lot closer just because, again, you know, Giannis doesn't have the experience that LeBron has. Giannis doesn't have that – Ability to lead a team, obviously, through the postseason that LeBron has, like he—that's a—he's a different animal in the postseason. Yeah. We all, we've all seen that, so I agree yeah, the with. Best that. player in sports doesn't always win MVP. Right. I mean, the best that's player in baseball, arguably, is Mike Trout. Right. He's probably not going to win MVP this year because I think there's a recognition that even though he's the best pure player, right, somebody else or other people had a better more season. More valuable. Than 
Yeah. And were more valuable this season, just this season. It doesn't mean for their careers. It doesn't mean that's the guy you're picking to to start a franchise with. It doesn't mean that that's the guy that you want on your side in a seven-game series. It just means for this particular season. Like Pat Mahomes is the best, I would say, the best player in the NFL. He's not going to win MVP every single season because there are other great players in the league that are going to have better seasons than him. And there are right. other great players in the NBA other than LeBron who have better seasons. It's going to happen that way. And it happened that way this year. Giannis had a better season. I don't think LeBron will win MVP again. I think I think there's a chance that he does next year because I do think some of the stuff that, that he has said um, is going to resonate with voters moving forward. I really okay. do believe that. Well, obviously he would need to have another amazing season. Yeah. Like, and he's only getting older. But I, again, LeBron defies time, and I don't know how he he's like Benjamin Button. But, um, yeah, it, it's going to be interesting. It'll definitely yep. be interesting. Um, well, speaking of baseball MVP, we might have the uh, Cy Young and the MVP on the Indians. We'll see. I don't know. That's true. That's, it might be the same guy. It's a conversation for another day. But, Chris, thank you so much for joining us. We do have a uh, meeting to get to. I know you're invested and I am too. So uh, thank you for joining the Wine and Gold Talk podcast, everybody. Thank you for your questions on Twitter. And again, follow or uh, subscribe to Chris on Subtext. Again, for uh, $3.99 a month, 14-day free trial. Go check him out. He's got he's gonna have all the bubble stuff that you want from the mini bubble here in Cleveland. He's gonna give you the you know the updates, the analysis, the info that you need. So go check him out on subtext. In the meantime, we will be back next week and uh, be sure to wish Chris a happy belated birthday. Take care, everybody. We'll see you soon.